Good morning, and welcome to the Sunday stream at Flat Creek Baptist Church. We are so thankful that you've joined us today, whether you're watching online or you are joining us on Glory FM 97.5. We are grateful for you being here today, and we look forward to worshiping alongside of you this morning. God bless you, and enjoy the stream.
so much. Would you please be seated? Good morning, Flat Creek. They give me this microphone because naturally I'm not as loud as Pastor Zach. So I learned that the hard way from the first service. Uh, but I want to read. Well, first I want to welcome you guys to Flat Creek. Glad you guys are here worshiping with us today. I'm hoping that you're feeling loved and welcomed and just excited to, uh, to praise the risen Lord uh, with you today. So I want to read from Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 6. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised, and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses, and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Let's pray. Dear God, we love you. We know that we have done nothing to earn your love. We, and we in and of ourselves are not worthy of your love. We know that it's our sin, it's our rebellion towards you um, that puts you on the cross. You, you came, you loved us enough to, to send your son to die in our place. And God, we praise you for that. We are so thankful, we're so grateful that you loved us enough to pay the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate punishment in place of us. And so we thank you for your love for us. I pray that as we continue to worship you this morning through song and later on through the teaching of your word, that we would get out of our own way, um, that we would allow you to press upon our hearts what it is that you have desired for us this morning, that we would take your word and that we would um, apply it to our lives because of your goodness and that we would share with the world around us um, of your love for them, um, just as you love us. So we thank you. We pray excitedly and boldly and expectantly for how you're going to work throughout the rest of this service. We give you all the glory. We love you. Amen. Y'all remember those words he read from Isaiah 53 as we stand and sing these next two songs, Jesus Paid It All and Man of Sorrows. Would you stand and sing with us?
seated. Mr. Chris is going to go ahead and start making his way up here, uh, but as he's coming, I want to just uh, let all the children in the room know, if you are interested in going to Children's Church with Miss Breeze right here in the front, uh, you can follow her over here behind this piano, and she and the rest of the workers will take you all down. Now this morning, uh, if you saw the countdown, Pastor Zach and his wife, Miss Summer, are still on a short uh, mini vacation, retreat, conference, all in one. Uh, Well-deserved time to rest and recuperate just the two of them uh, away. They'll be coming back this afternoon, so y'all pray for them. But in the meantime, we have Mr. Chris Jesse here to bring the word this morning, so y'all make him feel welcome. Well, thank you so much. Now, I know what uh, some of you must be thinking. This is the same guy that preached last year, and we had to cancel our lunch reservations. So... um, (laughs) Um, resist the temptation to cancel the reservations, although it still might happen. Um, No, uh, but thank you guys for having me back. When I actually was talking to Pastor Zach um, about what I should speak on today, um, because I am much like him. I am am very much an expository preacher. When I was in full-time ministry, I liked to pick a book, and I preached it verse by verse, and it took me quite a bit of time as it does Pastor Zach to get through something. So these onesie-twosie messages are really difficult for me. Is my mic on? Is it fine? It is? Okay, good. Um, So when I asked him, I was like, what's something that you would want me to speak on? And he was like, you know, like we have a ton of new people coming in. We have a new members class going on. Maybe talk about, you know, the role of the believer in the role of the church. I'm like, that's a great idea. Let's do that. So that's really what we're going to dig into today. But really to talk about the basics, getting back to the basics of a general calling. And some of you may know the difference. Some of you may not. But there is a difference between a general calling and a specific calling. Um, More so a specific calling would be basically what has God burdened you for in this world? That's where God has created you to affect change in this world for his kingdom. That's your specific calling because it differs per person about what God has burdened you for. We're not going to be talking about specific calling today. We're going to break it down, get down to basics about what is our general calling as a believer and what is our general calling collectively as a church. So to do that, though, we really need to look at how churches have gone wrong. In this matter, something that I love about aviation is that we dig in literally to every single accident, every single crash that happens around the world. In fact, my wife 
usually rolls her eyes when I turn on the TV because one of my favorite shows on the Smithsonian Channel is Air Disasters. Um, she's like, I don't know if I want to go up in a plane again. I'm like, I'm doing this to learn. And, and like what we actually do in the aviation community is we break down what happened. Everything leading up to the decision making, to the takeoff, to the flight, what went wrong that caused this to happen. And I specifically as a pilot loving aviation, I don't want to repeat the same faults that others have. Because I don't know if you realize that if you've ever been up in a plane, if something goes wrong, there's no place to really, like, pull over. <laughs> you're up there, and you've got to fly the plane to the ground. Or if you're a fighter pilot, you just eject and just do away with the plane. Uh, but, but this is what we do, and we have a whole government agency, politics aside of how well that they do, but we have a whole government agency that researches plane crashes, and it's the NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board. Anytime a plane crash happens, they go out on site and they start conducting their investigation. It usually takes them quite a bit of time to come to the conclusion about what caused the actual accident. One of the most recent ones that I learned about was actually a guy flying a, a um, Bonanza out of California, and he was wanting to fly his family to Las Vegas for some type of family reunion event. He was looking at weather, apparently, and weather was not conducive for flight. It was going to be stormy. He was not what's called IFR certified, where you fly by your instruments only. So if clouds are out and you can't see the ground, you can't see anything, you, you fly by your instruments. He was not IFR certified. So in his in his decision making, he basically got the get there-itis that pilots call. I got to get there, so I got to fly. Regardless of the conditions, I got to get there, I got to fly. Long story short, he got into clouds, he got into instrument conditions that he wasn't prepared for, and him and his whole family died in a plane crash. And it all started, it wasn't faulty equipment, it all started with the decisions that led up to, am I going to go or not go based upon the pilot? Very sad story. And we see this more often than not in aviation because the number one cause of aviation crashes is actually pilot error. It's not the equipment. It's pilot error. Very close second is actually equipment, the airplane, something's going on with the airplane maintenance, stuff like that, but it's usually pilot error. So as a pilot, I want to make sure I don't have the same decision-making abilities that those pilots had because I don't want to repeat the same mistakes. So in like fashion, we're going to basically look at, I'm going to move this. I don't know how Pastor Zach preaches it here, like I feel short. Um, but um, we're, we're actually going to look in like fashion of the American church. Because if there's one thing that all of us have seen, if you've been a part of multiple churches, there is something going on with the American church that's causing cancer. We actually can see across a timeline in the recent decades that there has been a decline in church attendance. There's been a decline. More people say that they are Christian in America, but we have less people throughout history actually attending a local church. And something's going on. Amen. I have pastored churches 
that have been like this. Um, just as a side note, what I'm about to go through about issues in churches, do not hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that Flat Creek Baptist Church are these churches. I'm doing this to say, let's not create the same mistakes as other churches have throughout time. So I just want to make that distinction up front. Um, but we have a cancer going on in the American church. We have a ma major problem in churches both large and small. It affects them both the same. So what are some of these issues? One of the issues is that churches have basically bought into the American dream and they've merged it with the gospel. Like, what does that look like? Well, for some churches, bigger buildings, more staff, more budget means we are reaching more people for Christ. However, I'm not saying that that's not the case. I'm saying what's the intent behind it? Is the intent just to get bigger, to say, look at how big our church is? Or are we actually utilizing these resources and these tools that God give us for His glory to bring people into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Some churches do that. Some churches do not manage their resources well. I actually was um, one of our home, our home churches that we had planted one of the members of like the church came from one of the prominent churches in the area. And they basically were looking and meeting one of the pastors of this church. And the pastor of, of the church brought them into the pastoral office area and stuff. And, the, and he was bragging. He was bragging on the office space and one of the church members that I'm talking about, they actually were put aside because of the way he was talking about the conference table in the pastor's conference area, about how much it cost. He was bragging on the price of a conference table. That's the kind of stuff. Merging the American dream bigger and better does not mean we're reaching people for Christ. In fact, if we look at the life of Christ, Christ was actually the best small church pastor in history. There's something to be said about that. Another problem is churches that put stuff over God's people. Amen. Stuff and things and resources over God's people. This is something that happens consistently. The last church that I, that I was uh, lead pastor of in eastern Virginia, we actually had a deacon's meeting one night. And uh, a man came in from our church who had been attending our church for quite some time. And I had known that he had lost his job recently. But he was doing odd jobs here and there to basically fill the need to support his family still. He had two kids at home, a wife. So he was doing everything that he could. In this particular month, he was worried if he was going to make his mortgage payment or not. And knowing this guy, I knew that him coming to the deacons, because the deacons managed the benevolence fund for the church that helped people like this, knowing that he was coming in the first place, I knew he was at his rock bottom because he was not a guy that was eager to ask for help. So he came into the deacons meeting, gave his plea. He was asking for $500 to meet his mortgage this month so he wouldn't go into that snowball effect. 
And this was during the summer months of, of our church. And summer months, usually in churches, giving drops a little bit. Now, granted, some backstory. This church had zero debt. Zero. And we had over half a million dollars in the bank that they haven't touched in decades. One of the deacons looks at this man, the deacon that managed the fund, and he looked at him and said, I'm so sorry, but we can't help you. We're trying to keep the church afloat right now. My face got visibly red. I looked at this man. I said, your $500 is going to be covered somehow. But what I'm about to say, you don't need to be here for. My deacon saw a different uh, side of me that night. Because they were putting stuff over people. Amen. And that's what we're going to get into here in, in a little bit. Um, one other problem is that churches um, do not foster true community. Amen. In fact, um, there was a study that was recently published a few years ago. And they looked at active attenders and their... Their, um, their connectedness to the church. Now, their definition of an active attender was basically three out of four Sundays a month is what they were looking at. That was defined as an active attender. They weren't looking at membership because, as we all know, in church world, membership roles are never really accurate. We're looking at who's actually here. So, out of active attenders, it was close to 20 to 25% of active attenders who were here three out of four Sundays a month did not feel connected to the local church body. And that saddened me as a pastor reading it because what have we done in America where we have created this atmosphere in churches where people can come in and be completely anonymous and leave? That's not ecclesia. That's not what we're called to be as the church. In fact, it's funny, when I was in seminary, the, my, my favorite professor pointed something out to me. He said, do, do, do you realize that everything in church that we have today is based around people relying on the pastor to do everything? Because we look and we have an auditorium where an audience sits because an audience comes to hear somebody talk. They may come to hear music. And the audience in church is called lay people because they just lay around, he said. Um, and then those that are up on stage are clergy because they clergy apparently. And they're pastors. And the pastor is really the person that does this. In fact, I experienced this at that same church that I just told the story about about how we needed to do outreach ministry. And one of the people in the church looked at me and said, Pastor, you need to do outreach ministry. And I looked at them and I said, No, you need to do outreach ministry. You're not lay people. We're the body of Christ. Okay? We've created an atmosphere where people can be anonymous. Come in. Walk out. Nobody interacts with them. We also have people in churches that are spiritually malnourished. And I say this because they do no feeding themselves throughout the week. They come on Sunday morning and they expect 
to, to, to get fed sustenance enough to last them the rest of the week. And the church that does this basically operates as a spiritual soup kitchen. Very unhealthy church. Um, that's not where Flat Creek is, from what I've seen. I, I have been here for a short time, but I have been, quite frankly, amazed at the health of Flat Creek Baptist Church. And one of the fruits of that health is the fact that God is bringing people here still. How many baptisms we've had. We credit this to Christ and to the faithfulness we have in being a church dedicated to him. So I want to applaud our church in doing that, but I'm not saying we are perfect. Because this affects churches both large and small. So if we're truly to get back to basics and figure out what we're supposed to be doing, we need to look at what everybody else has done that has failed. So even if we look at the Southern Baptist Convention and we see the decline of church attendance throughout time, throughout the decades, the Southern Baptist Convention has not been immune of this. In fact, just recently I looked on the Southern Baptist Convention's website this past week and we have 47,614 churches for the Southern Baptist Convention. That's quite a bit. All active attenders in all of those churches equates to 3,607,530 people. You know, that's an average out per church, about 75 people per church. The majority of Southern Baptist churches are under 100 people, and they remain that way. They remain stagnant that way. So I am, I'm actually going to pose a question that I want to ask at the end. And I want you to be thinking about this throughout the message. And if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles, we're really going to be in two verses, uh, two pieces of Scripture here, Matthew 28 as well as Acts chapter 2. But the question that I want to ask you is this. And if you ever read, if you like reading, there's an author that I love. He's also a pastor, Francis Chan. He, he wrote a book called Letters to the Church. And in this book, he basically looks at the, the, the many ways that the American church has gone wrong and how we can right the ship. If you don't know who Francis Chan is, he actually was a church planter. God called him to plant a church in um, California. He planted the church. Within a few years, it grew to thousands in a few years. It was a mega church. God got a hold of his heart one, one day and he realized if, if, if I were to be removed from this church he felt the church would fall apart, which told him the church was not built on what it was supposed to be built on. It was built on a characteristic of somebody here, him. And we see this throughout the country. We see church signs that have the name of the church, and, and unfortunately, it has just the name of the pastor there because people follow, and they have multiple campuses. Again, I'm not saying that these things are bad in and of themselves. I'm saying, how are we utilizing our resources, and how are we teaching people to be a better body of Christ? Are we following a person, or is that person truly pointing us to Christ? Francis Chan left his church. Guess what happened to his church? It fell apart. He went to China to start planting home churches. He's back in the States now. 
But he has some good things to say in his book. So in this book, he posed a question. He said, which I am actually going to phrase it for us. Let's say Flat Creek Baptist Church does not exist right now. All of us are here. We're all like-minded followers of Jesus Christ. And all of us know we need a church in this area. We need to plant a church here. If we have nothing else to go on to plant this church other than the Word of God, no cultural stuff, nothing previously conceived about the American church, nothing else, literally, except the Word of God, if we were to plant Flat Creek Baptist Church here right now, what would the church look like? And if you had a pit in your stomach, that's a good thing. Because I have a pit in my stomach as well. Not that we're doing the wrong thing, but we're never perfect. We can always do better, correct? So be thinking about that question as we go through. And today we're going to look at the basics. Because if there's one thing all of us are going to agree on, or should agree on, is that all of us want to become the person God wants us to be, and we want to become the church that God wants us to be. These two things have to align in Scripture. So we're going to look at what is the general calling of the believer and what is the general calling of the church collectively. Because I've asked people before, what's the purpose of the church? And you would be amazed at the varying responses that I get. What is the purpose of the church? We're not rooted in Scripture about what our general calling here is. So let's look here. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 through 20. This is Jesus' words here. He says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's break this down a little bit here. To see what our general calling is. The first thing that I look at, besides the word therefore, because we all know Pastor Zach loves the word therefore, right? But, but the word right at, therefore, go. Let's look at this word go. Let's see what it means in the original Greek. In the original Greek here, this word is actually parothedes. And this word parothedes in Greek literally means to depart with a specific destination and purpose in mind. Go does not mean just wander aimlessly. Have a dis distinctive purpose and a distinctive destination. Have a plan. This is what it means. This is the context of where God has placed you. This go applies to every single person under the sound of my voice that believes and follows Jesus Christ right now. We're called to go. Not wander aimlessly in our faith. We're called to go, to have a specific destination and purpose in mind. This might be conceived as your specific calling, not just general, but your specific calling as far as what has God burdened you for? What in this world breaks your heart so bad that God placed you, He created you specifically here to tackle that? That's your specific calling. We're going to go into the general calling here. So at this point, 
Again, this word does not mean to stand still. All right? Going on, on further here, it says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. One thing he does not say, if you give to missions, that's okay. That's making disciples. He does not say, if you go to a church and you support a church who has a pastor, the pastor's making disciples, therefore you, you are making disciples. In fact, there is no evidence in Scripture anywhere where the concept is of making disciples making disciples through proxy. You cannot make disciples through proxy. For God said, go and make disciples. What does this mean? In fact, in Jesus' words, what he actually means here, and, and, and get the, grasp this point. When Jesus says, go and make disciples, what he's saying is, is that making disciples is the requisite for being a disciple. Stating it differently, you cannot claim to be a disciple if you are not actively making disciples. You cannot be a disciple and be stagnant because you're not going. You can't wander aimlessly. Now, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying here. I'm not saying that not making... that. I, well, I'm not saying that making disciples is required for salvation. I'm not saying that at all. I'm also not saying that if you're not currently making disciples, that you're not saved, that you don't have a relationship with Christ. But I am saying that we each and every single one of us needs to question ourselves in, am I replicating what God has done in my life to others? Because quite frankly, if God has, has truly changed you and radically transformed you into the new creation that Scripture points us to, why in the world would we not want to replicate that in people that don't have it? Why would we not want to do that? And yet... We see churches that don't explicitly teach making disciples through proxy, but in the way that they function, it implies it. Not saying that giving to missions is a bad thing. That is a necessity. But if that is your means of making disciples, you have some questioning of yourself to do. He goes on, he says, after this, in baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it is amazing the amount of people we have baptized just in the past few months here. And if you're new here, if this is your first time, if you're listening online on the radio, and you have no idea what baptism is, baptism by very definition does nothing to save you. It is simply the first act of obedience. It is an outward sign of what God has done inside of you. The old you is dead and buried with Christ. And when you come up out of the water, you are made to be a new creation in Him. Showing everybody else witnessing, I am changed because of Him. Many don't teach 
that it's not required for salvation. For those, I would point again to the thief on the cross. When he looked at Jesus, and Jesus looked back at him and said, Today you will be with me in paradise. Do not hear what Jesus did not say. Well, hold on. We got to get you down first. We got to baptize you. We got to do all this stuff that's going to be required for salvation. You got to reach some people first. You got to make disciples first like I did. Then you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus did not say that. And then, after we baptize them, again, all of this is not something that just the pastor does. Just the clergy does. This is a directive. Yes, Jesus was speaking to the apostles at this time, but they were teaching the New Testament church as individuals to go and to do this. After we baptize them, what do we do in verse 20? We teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you, Jesus said. We don't just go and we evangelize people we don't know. Oh, you know Christ, good. Here's a pamphlet. We never see that person again. That is not found in Scripture. What Scripture is, is we are intimately involved with the people God has placed around us so we can develop relationships. So once we lead them to Christ, we then can do what Paul says, as I follow the example of Christ, follow me. We don't just lead, leave them in the dust. We bring them under our wing and we say, follow me as I try to follow Christ. This is what it's going to mean to follow Christ. But we don't see that in American churches. And this statement that, that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians 1.11 where he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. This is so incredibly bold. Imagine you at your workplace leading someone to Christ and you having the boldness to say, you know what? If you want to know what it's like to follow Christ, look at me. How many of us in, in this room would have the boldness to say that right now? Some may. Some may not. But that's the boldness that, that Christ gives us through the empowerment of His Spirit in order to replicate ourselves, to go and to make disciples. That's what he does for us. You have to be sure you are walking with Christ and following his example to say a bold statement like that. So this is the general calling of each and every person under the sound of my voice. If you claim Christ and you follow Christ, your general calling is to go and replicate yourself. Make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey. Same as you obey. Now it's interesting because the word obey, as parents, when we ask our kids to obey, I think it means something different than when God looks at us and says obey. 
As parents, sometimes, we fall into the realm of, I want my kids to obey exactly how I want them to obey. But think about it. Throughout Scripture, when people are obedient to God, doing what God has called them to do, very rarely is our obedience absolutely perfect. True? However, God still uses us. God still blesses the effort. God still allows us to reap what we sow. Even when our obedience is not perfect. That's amazing. Let's turn to Acts 2.42. Verse 242 through 47. This is the earliest account of, of what it meant to be a part of the New Testament church here in Acts. So remember, our general calling as each individual believer, go and make disciples. That's our calling. Replicate what God has done in us to other people. What is our calling, our general calling as a church collectively? Now this is why Pastor Zach wanted me to speak on this because we have so many new people. We all need to be on the same page here because this is utterly important. If we get this wrong, we start going down the road that other churches have gone down. Just like a pilot, I don't want to repeat the same mistakes that other pilots have made. I want to learn from it. So let's look at what we're supposed to do. Acts 2.42, what does it say? The fellowship of believers, they actually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts where they broke bread in their homes. And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's look at this. Let's break this apart here. First and foremost, what, what does it say that they devoted themselves to? Well, they devoted themselves to learning God's word together. They devoted themselves to fellowship, doing life with one another. They devoted themselves to breaking a bread Eating together, there is something special about when you invite someone to your home and you eat with that person. That's why it's so special when you go out on your first date. Think back to your first date. Most always, a date always encompasses going and eating. Because there's something special about breaking bread with one another. They also prayed together. This is what they devoted themselves to. Look at this next thing here in verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. This tripped me up this week. The first part didn't. All the believers were together. We are together right here. The second part tripped me up. They had everything in common. What in the world? There is never a time when everybody has everything in common or of one mind about anything. Everybody has opinions about everything and it divides people. 
Then God struck me. He said, Chris, do you know why the early church were together and they had everything in common? Because their everything was me. When we make our everything Christ, church, we have everything in common. That's it. How beautiful and how simple is that? They also sold their possessions and their property to give to anyone in need. It's interesting. I don't want to create enemies right now. But the New Testament principle on giving is not tithing. The New Testament principle on giving is give what the Lord lays on your heart. There's, in, in, in fact, the principle of tithing ends in the book of Malachi. The word tithing is not found anywhere in the New Testament at all. I'm not saying don't give. I'm saying give what God lays on your heart to give. In the New Testament church, God called people to sell property and give the money that re they received from the property to the church. They sold possessions. And they gave that money that they received to sell possessions and they gave it to the church so that no one in the family went without need. We have so many needs in our church. And yet all of us come to church with our best face on, don't we usually? We have no problems. We have no needs. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Yes, that, that phrase is very true. But it does not mean that we go throughout this life with no tribulation. There are people in this very room right now that are struggling. Possibly struggling to make ends meet. Possibly struggling with a relationship. Possibly struggling with their own self-identity. And the majority of the time in our culture, it's a very programmed response. When I meet somebody, when we shake hands, what do we do? How are you doing? The response is almost always, fine. Do you know what fine stands for? Freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. <laughs> I'm fine. Oh, now I get it. But, but we usually never go past that blanket statement to really see the person that's in our family. Wanting to truly meet the need of that person in our family. We get these blanketed responses. So they sold possessions to anyone who had need within the church. This next part is awesome. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Do you know where they're, like what the temple represented still at that time? Traditional Judaism. They never neglected their heritage. They still went to the temple to worship corporately. To worship Yahweh. 
And they met in their homes to have church. This is what the New Testament did. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together. And this is what happens. This is what happened to the New Testament church as they did this. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Daily. Church, all of this to say the New Testament church took care of the family. That's our general calling as a church. Because if our general calling as individuals is to go and make disciples, we cannot do that alone. We were created for relationship. And the purpose of the church to take care of the family is so when, when we come here, we are helped, we are fed, we are iron sharpening iron so that when we go and make disciples, we're replicating something healthy and not replicating dysfunction. That's what we're called to do collectively. We're a family. And that action is discipling one another. We disciple one another. We get to know one another in the family. We don't have surface relationships within our family. I mean, okay, some family dynamics might, but I'm not going there right now. But usually within your family, it's never a surface type of thing. You're intimately involved with your family's life. You know what's going on. If you have kids that are grown and they have kids, they might sometimes call and say, my kids are sick. You know what's going on in the family. Do we know what's going on in our family? Do we pray for one another? Do we break bread together? When was the last time you invited someone that you haven't seen at the church before just to get to know them, to come to your house to eat? There's something special about breaking bread. When was the last time we did that? Because, I mean, the study's out there. 20 to 25% of those actively attending church do not feel connected to the local body. And they're there three out of four Sundays a, like a week, uh, three out of four Sundays a month. Are we truly doing what we're supposed to be doing as a church? Again, I'm not saying Flat Creek is not doing this. Do not hear what I'm not saying. We are a very healthy church. We are doing some very healthy things. But can we be doing more? to better take care of the family so we can go out and replicate healthy instead of dysfunction. In fact, if we look at what Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, Paul says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have every opportunity, let us do good to all people. And look at this part right here, what he says. Let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of God. 
Church, our role is to take care of each other. We're not to live in isolation. We are not to come here and listen to a person speak and go home and not interact with anybody in Ecclesia. We do this to disciple one another. Doing good, especially to those who belong to the family of God. Iron sharpening iron. Making each other healthy. So again, we can replicate healthy when we go and not replicate dysfunction. So why is all of this important? Why is all of this? Why do we have to get this right? Well, it's painted on the walls of what happens when we don't get this right. Look at some other churches. And I'm not here to church bash. Do not sense that that is my heart at all. I am a proponent from learning from other people's mistakes, though. Where have others gone wrong so we don't repeat it? So why is all this important? Why do we have to get this right? Turn to John 17. This is a beautiful passage of Scripture here. John 17, 20. This is... This is before a lot happens to Jesus specifically. And Jesus prays this beautiful prayer for his disciples. And then he breaks here in verse 20 and he changes his tone. And in verse 20 he says, My prayer is not for them alone, meaning the disciples. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Church, do you understand that we are here right now because of the obedience of 12 men? who went and made disciples. Imagine what hangs in the balance of you going and making disciples. We're here because of them. So I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought into complete unity. Then listen to what Jesus says here. When we're brought into complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is what's at stake, church. When we make Jesus our everything, and we're united in each and every going and making disciples, and we're committed to one another corporately to take care of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ so that we assure we are healthy, so we go replicate healthy, then the world will know the message of Jesus. This is what Jesus is saying. This is why this is so important that we get this right. Throughout the New Testament, we find this word in Greek, ekklesia. It's also pronounced for some ecclesia. But this Greek word literally translates into our English word as church. 
And there are some that I have heard when I ask, what do you think ecclesia is or ecclesia? And they say that it's those who are called out, who are separate for God's purpose. However, if we truly look at the Greek and what it actually means, this Greek word ecclesia is not used to convey separateness. It's used to convey togetherness and unification. It's ironic though. Do you know one of the terms used to convey separateness? Pharisee. So I want to ask you that question again that I asked at the beginning. Flat Creek did not exist at all. And all of us were of unified spirit. And we knew God wanted us to plant a church right here for this community. And we had nothing else to go on in culture other than the Word of God and, the, and the, how the New Testament church operated, how would our church look? How would our church function? Would it be drastically different? Would there be some aspects that we have? Absolutely. But church, there's always room for improvement. And what's hanging in the balance is those who God added daily being saved. Again, I have observed Flat Creek, we are doing extremely well. I've interacted with some of you and I am amazed at the health of our church. We are not like the churches in the problems that I read off earlier. But we can't become that church as we grow. We can't become that church that focuses on the meaningless things. As we grow, there's going to have to be stuff done to, you know, the buildings. What's one of the common things churches fight about that people usually joke about? The, the color of the carpet. <laughs> Meaningless. True? Churches that do that are not making their everything Jesus. When we make our everything Him, everything else falls in place. And God will add to our numbers daily those who are being saved. So church, we need to continue to take care of one another. We have an individual responsibility to go and to make disciples. And we can't go if we're unhealthy. We can only go if we're healthy. And that takes the family. I have been a part of unhealthy churches. I've been hurt by churches as a pastor. The last church that I pastored, I'm going to get really personal right now, I received death threats from. They called me at a time when they had an average church attendance of about 30 to 40 people average on a Sunday. The average age being about 60, 65. They had zero young families. They hired me as their youngest lead pastor in their history of their church. 
And it goes back to the early 1900s. Within a few months, we were averaging about 150. I do not say that because I'm boasting in anything that I did. It entirely was God. This man is not capable of doing that. Only God is. But slowly, I started seeing a trend as people were coming. I started seeing that certain people were making comments. Why is that person dressing that way? Come on. Don't they have any respect? Come on. We're not seeing an increase in giving. Why aren't these people giving? We're not seeing an increase in Sunday school. Why aren't they coming to Sunday school? And he was bickering back and forth and back and forth. And regardless of my best efforts to keep them focused on making our everything Jesus, they started running off the young families. And then they started pointing the finger at me saying it was my fault that they were leaving. I'm not saying I'm perfect. And I might have done some things that made some people mad because I preached the word of God unapologetically. And I don't care if it upsets people. But I did not run off those young families. I cared for them. I'm saying that to say we have an amazing church staff here. We are blessed to have Pastor Zach. Amen. We are beyond blessed to have Pastor Caleb. Amen. We are beyond blessed to have a new youth pastor, Pastor Justin. We are beyond blessed to have a woman be our children's director who does nothing but love on kids. Ministry is hard enough when a church is healthy. Let's not make their lives hell as we grow. Let's respect our, our church staff. Let's respect their leadership. Let's respect their wisdom. But let's not get fed just by them. Feed yourself throughout the week. We don't want to start running a spiritual soup kitchen where people are just on breast milk. We need to have that deep relationship with Jesus Christ. So as Caleb comes and we end the service, what I really want for all of us is really... In this time of invitation, I really want us to do some self-examination. If you're here for the first time and you, you've just been struggling with, with, with life in general and you have a feeling that this Jesus that I've been talking about, that, we need, that, that, that we've already made our everything, He can be your everything. And it won't make your life perfect. It'll just make it better. But for us that claim Christ, that claim to be the body of Christ, I want you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. I don't want anybody looking around. I know that's a typical pastor thing to say, but I truly want you to examine yourself. Are you going and making disciples? Because from Jesus' perspective, again, making disciples is, is the requisite for being a disciple. You have to replicate. 
It can't just stagnate. And as we, as a church body collectively, what are you contributing personally to the health of our family? Who are you discipling in our family? Who are you saying, as I follow the example of Christ, follow my example? How are you serving people in our church? How are you reaching out to those that don't look like you, that don't sound like you, to become a more unified body? So as Caleb sings, use, use your seats to pray. Search yourself. In fact, in Psalms it says, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Know if there is any offensive way in me. Cleanse me and lead me to the way of everlasting. Let's ask God to search us. If you're here and you need Jesus, you want Him to be your everything, I'll be down front. I'll talk to you. But as they sing, let's self-reflect. special morning at Flat Creek has been. Amen. Listen, I said it at 8.30 as we were on the way out. Chris, thank you so much. That was, that was really awesome, man. That was really good. And thank you for getting personal with us there for a minute, too. Uh, it really makes it more relatable when you share your heart and the deep things that are there. Listen, uh, before we go, just two, two things real quick, uh, and then a quick reminder. One, 
If you don't mind, as we go our separate ways, just put on your prayer list, Mr. Tony Hale. Uh, he was here this morning uh, to get ready to run our, our online service. He's the one that sits in the balcony up there. Uh, Mr. Jerry's filling in for him today. Thank you so much. But he, he came up during rehearsal this morning, put his hand on my shoulder, and he just said, I need to go. I just got a call from my sister and my brother's passed away. Uh, and so y'all just pray for him and their family as you go. Pray for Pastor Zach and Miss Summer as they're on their way back from a well-deserved vacation, some time away just to spend the two of them and just rest and recuperate. They'll be back this evening, uh, which leads me to the reminder. Conference. Everybody's thing they woke up for this morning, I'm sure. Uh, we are having a call conference this afternoon at five o'clock. Uh, we've got a few committees, outreach, uh, children's and decorating. They're just going to present some stuff for your consideration. So if you're interested in hearing what they have, uh, just be back over here this way at 5 p.m. and we'll see you there. I'm going to pray and we'll be dismissed to go. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather with our church family. Number one, just to humbly worship you. We thank you for being so much more worthy of any worship we could bring, and yet still you choose to come and be among us as we sing your praises. Lord, I, I thank you for Chris's message this morning. Uh, I pray we would seek as we go home today to make you our everything so that uh, no matter where we're at, we see each other in public, at work, school, uh, or the grocery store, Lord. We're unified because we have everything in common, and that's Jesus. Lord, I pray that would be our heart as we move forward. I pray we leave with a purpose, just like it says in Matthew 28, and that is to make disciples of all nations. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your many blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Sunday stream here at Flat Creek Baptist Church in Gainesville, Georgia. I am Pastor Zach Williams, and it is a great honor to have you join us through our online platform. It is our belief that you should be connected to a local congregation. And so if you are in the Gainesville, Georgia area, we want to encourage you to come out and be a part of what God is doing in our midst. There's nothing like being connected to a local body of believers. However, if you are tuning in today and you are not from the Gainesville, Georgia area and you're tuning in from some other place on earth, what we're going to encourage you to do is get attached a local body of believers under good, sound, biblical, doctrinal preaching so that you can be encouraged in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and allow Black Creek Baptist and our Sunday stream to just be a supplement to what God is doing in your life. Friends, I thank you so much once again for joining us. God bless you. For more information, you can visit our website, blackcreekchurch.org.
met a thirsty woman, once so dusty and alone. He offered her real life that's sweeter than she'd ever known. Then Jesus told her all about it since she'd ever done. She drank that living water, then she told them everyone. Come to the that well of living water, flowing from on high. Don't wait till it gets hotter. Tell your thirst goodbye. And from that like well. that woman when he told her all about her sin. When you drink this water, you will never thirst again. You've made the trip with empty water pots But left without enough to fill the smallest one you brought But meet the well that never dries He'll wash away your stains The only one that satisfies And Jesus is his name Come to the well of living water Flowing from on high Don't wait till it gets hotter Tell your thirst goodbye from the Like that woman when he told her all about her sin When you drink this water you will never thirst again Come to the, the well Glory FM, your family radio station in North Georgia. Hi, this is Father.